Welcome this Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to have three gatherings, uh, three different times. So you might notice that in the, in the worship guide and make plans accordingly. We obviously would say if you can handle coming early for a sunrise service, we would greatly appreciate that at 8 a.m. That would be a great time uh, to get out, of, well, not get out of bed at that time, but be here at that time next week. We're kind of in a study this uh, uh, past uh, week, this week, and then even into next week, where it all kind of ties together. And I'm approaching this topic from a skeptic's point of view. Now, some of you in this room may even call yourself a skeptic. You're a seeker. You're a skeptic. You don't really know about this whole Christian faith and, and ba- what's this baptism and what's this singing about death and talking about death. How does that bring life? And I want to say you don't want to process through this alone. If you don't have a communitas group, which is kind of our small group expression of Grace Point Church, uh, you need to find one. Uh, Randy will be hanging out in the in the, in the gallery area by our communitas uh, uh, area. Uh, he'll have a connector person out there. Uh, go there after the service because what you get in a communitas group is really a community caring for the community. That's where the love, that's where the expression, that's where we do ministry uh, on a much more localized level is in that area. All also, I will say you get to know Grace Point at a micro level. This is a macro. You come in this big room, you think the, all the lights, the camera, the action is Grace Point, but it's not. There's only a, a one expression of that. But there is a deeper, more intimate expression. In fact, it's a place that you can be raw and real in. And so we want to help to connect you into these groups. Randy is the connector man. He's kind of uh, match.com for communitas groups. And so you can see Randy. He'll be the bald guy on the stage here at the end of the gathering. If you don't know who Randy is, I like to click on Randy wherever he's at. All right. So anyway, not that I have much room to talk about on that area. We're talking about truth. We've been talking about truth last week. Absolute truth versus relative truth. Which is it? And I propose, and I came with that presupposition, I have to tell you it's not changed any, that truth is in its very word, its very nature, and its very essence. It has to be absolute. Now, we live in a day when we're trying to rewrite truth. What is truth? What is moral truth? What is objective truth? What is ethical truth? We've got all kinds of things out there going on. But I want to propose to you that to have truth is to have absolute truth. Let me give you an example of that. Use temperature, for example. Again, you can use so many examples of where we have absolute truth. But every place on the planet that I'm aware of, if you have water and it reaches 32 degrees, it will turn to ice. It's just the way it is, the way God made it. It's an absolute law. Why didn't he choose 31? Why didn't he choose 34? I don't know. He chose 32 and he made it 32 and that's the way it is. And we have to live that way. We know that when we drive our cars and it's 32 and there's a little stuff falling from the sky, we better be careful because that's probably ice underneath there. If you want to say that's not true, you go ahead and wreck your car. Just don't let me know where you're driving because I don't want to be anywhere near you. All right, because that's the reality. Whether you like it or I like it or not, that is an absolute truth. Now, what is not absolute, there come times, there is a relative truth, if you want to call it that. I call it more of opinions. And that's whenever you say, okay, and you come to the McDaniel house in the wintertime, I like the thermostat set on about 65 degrees. Lori likes it on about 70. That would be relative truth. What is comfortable at the McDaniel's household depends on who you ask. I say 65, she says, she says 70. And even when it turns to winter, for me, it changes, or it turns to summer, for me, it changes. I like it to be at a different temperature. So it depends on the mood. It depends on my feelings. It depends on the atmosphere outside. It depends on a lot of things or what makes me comfortable. That's not an absolute truth. 
So what we have to figure out in this life as we go along is what is absolute, what is truth or what's an opinion? Because if I'm going to base my life, my soul, my eternal destiny on an opinion, that's a pretty scary thing, especially if there's something out there that claims, cries out absolute truth. We have to bank our life, our eternity on something that's more solid than an opinion. At least I'm going to do that. I'm going to find something out there a little bit more solid that I can bite down on, uh, something a little bit more, uh, with a little bit more legs. Otherwise, if everything is relative, you know what you have? Hitler becomes a pretty good leader, doesn't he? Because you look at a country, you look at a geopolitical area, you look at a ruler who decided that he was going to conquer the world and he was going to do it by extinguishing a part of the human race and everyone in that culture, or not everyone in that culture, but a lot of people in that culture believed that that was okay. So if relative truth is the same thing as absolute truth and absolute truth is the same thing as relative truth, then okay, Hitler's okay and ISIS is okay. Let's just go out and behead people. You and I both know where I'm going with this. It's ridiculous. So not all ideology, not all opinions are absolute truth. We have to figure out We have to dive into this. And we have to be objective about this. What is truth? This is not a cookies and cream message or series. This is a meat and potatoes. This is a life and death. Dive into this. Wrestle with this. Because in our culture where we're rewriting moral codes, in our culture where we're we're in situational ethics, in our culture whenever there's no absolutes and we need to have all tolerance in this world, we better be we're walking on a dangerous path there that could be very slippery. There's about seven different universities out there that have claimed a statement that's actually in the Bible. Now, I don't know that many of the people that go to some of these universities actually realize that is from the Bible, but actually this statement is found in Scripture. This statement is found in, uh, came from the lips of Jesus in John chapter 8. So you might be finding John chapter 8. We'll be there in a moment. But he says, the truth shall set you free. That's literally the slogan of John Hopkins, University of Tennessee, SMU. Other universities out there are saying that, listen, if you come to our institutions, that's what they're saying, the truth will set you free. We'll give you truth. Now, that's a pretty cool statement. In fact, if you, you believe that and you want to go there, then hopefully you will get the truth. But the thing is, that's not a complete statement. That's not all that Jesus said. The truth shall set you free. Yes, he said that. But there was a statement that he said before that. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you're, the truth is going to set you free, that, that is presupposed by the fact that you know the truth. And if you don't know the truth, the truth won't set you free. And if, if we've already established that all truth, uh, the truth is in itself and its very word, its very concept, and its very thought is absolute and, and, and truth will set me free. I'm just going to kind of back into this. You back into it with me. That there is absolute truth, that truth will set me free. Then presupposing the truth is going to set me free, I've got to know what truth is. I've got to know what truth is. What is truth? And don't give me the line, truth for you, it might not be truth for me. Listen, that's an opinion. Because at the end of the day, one of us is going to be right and one of us is going to be wrong. We've got to figure this out. You've got to figure it out. And listen, I can't judge you and you're not going to judge me. But listen, whatever you live your life by will be the truth or the lie or the opinion that you will have to live with for all eternity. I'm going to bank on something, not my opinion. It waffles and it changes. 
I want to find something out there that I can grab a hold of, sink my teeth into, and not lose hope through it. Whether yours is Kabbalah or Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or Christianity, look out there and decide what it is for you. You will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. Now, the thing is, Jesus doesn't just end the statement there. He actually goes on a little bit further. And again, if you have your Bibles in John 8, I don't want you to be thinking I'm making this all up. In John chapter 8 or scrolling your Bible, the free apps out there, you can download one right now. But John chapter 8, verse 36, it says, So if the Son, in the same passage, in the same context of everything that, 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 that we just talked about, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. Then he comes back two verses later and says, So if the Son, he puts a person on the truth not a philosophy, not an opinion. He puts a person. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So there's no ambiguity with Jesus here. There's no roll the dice with Jesus here. He wants to make it absolutely abundantly clear that yes, there is truth out there. And the truth is Jesus, not me. Jesus, the son will set you free then you're going to be free indeed. Now, I thought for, for a few moments this, this past week, preparing for, for this message, I thought, in my life, Mike, how have I experienced freedom? Just by walking with Christ, just by believing Christ, just by going with Christ, just by banking my life on Christ, just by hitching my, my, my horse to Christ. How have I experienced freedom? How have you experienced freedom if you're a follower of Christ? Jot them down, think about them for a second. And then I, it didn't take me five minutes to think of five of them. And then I had scripture to back them up. Because it's not just my belief, it's how the scripture ties into that. But I found freedom from sin. In fact, in John eight thirty four, it talks about how we're a slave to sin. If we're sinning out there. But hey, what I found in Christ is that there was freedom from that. Psalm 32 verse 5 reminded me that I'm free from the guilt, from the shame. And this is whenever David has just been out, committed adultery, just killed Uriah. I mean, his life for a year, he's been running, trying to make excuses. I'm a king. You can't hold me accountable. I can do what I want to do. You know, I'm, I'm all my own, I'm my own judge. And all, he was playing those games. And God said, no, 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 no. And guilt just began to break him. Verse 30, chapter 32, verse 5, he was broken in his guilt. But when he confessed his sins, he was free from his guilt. Okay? Also, Luke 4, 8, free from hurts, freedom from hurts, freedom from fear, Exodus 20, 20. This whole message that, that Wade shared about two or three weeks ago about, about, about fear and how we have freedom in, in Christ to, to not be, live in, in fear of life and death and anything else, boogeyman's under the bed or whatever it may be, uh, anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. And listen, there's a blank there because there's 2,000 other promises in Scripture that probably one or two or three of those might relate to something in your life that you need freedom from. Maybe your freedom is anger. Maybe what you need freedom from is, is shame. What is it that you need freedom from? Because I can tell you this, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. What are you going to do with Jesus? 
So if Jesus is the center pivot of all this whole thing, if Jesus is the truth, the truth will set you free. If Jesus is the Son and the Son will set you free. If Jesus is, it's all about Jesus and I'm coming back and I'm landing on the fact that Jesus is the truth and I got to rest my life on, on, on Jesus. And you know, that's the beauty of it. I love Mike Smith's story. And I love him as a friend, but I, you know, regardless of that, he came, I didn't invite him to Grace Point. He just came and friends invited him. And the beauty story of that, him telling me, I can remember. I'm kind of an atheist. I said, this is a safe place to be kind of an atheist. I don't care if you're kind of an atheist, you're kind of a Hindu, you're kind of an agnostic, you're kind of a this. This is a good place. But I hope in, in the time that you're here that you will experience the freedom from the sun and the sun will set you free at a level. But what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? G.K. Chesterton, great British poet, writer, at the time of his own spiritual conversion, said this, the point of an open mind like having an open mouth, is to close it on something solid. Yes, have an open mind. Examine all the faith. I don't care. Go try Islam. Go try Hinduism. When you come back to Christianity and you try it, try it with all your heart. But I'll tell you this, when you find something solid, bite on it. Engulf it. Let it allow it to penetrate and, and through all of the parts of who you are. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to say in John chapter 8, as we talked about last week. John 8, 31, he said, Jesus said, to, in fact, verse 30, he says this, and he was saying to these, many believed. Right, you're going to hear that word believed a whole lot every time you see it. Circle it if you have a hard copy Bible. Many believed in him. And Jesus said to, G, to the Jews who had believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Abide to live in, to reside in, to take it in, to to swallow it whole, to let it penetrate who you are. Believe is a very key word. In the same passage, in the same context, the same situation, if you go back up to verse 24, because here's the question I'm going to put on the table again. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Verse 24, Jesus makes it pretty clear. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he who will die for your sins. That's why this week is so absolutely critical. Because he died in my place. He was the one who came into this world, put on flesh, dwelt among man, lived out his life. Great great example, great teacher, all that. But more than anything else, he went to the cross to take my sin so I wouldn't be racked with sin any longer, covered with it any longer. But here's the problem. Unless you believe, unless you believe, unless you believe, unless you believe, you'll die in your sins. There's truth. Truth is there to set you free. Truth is a person. You've got to believe it. If you don't believe it, we live with the guilt of our sins. I didn't make it up. I don't make up the rules. I just got to live by them. Two conditions of everyone in this room today. Everyone in this room and everyone outside of this room, everyone around the world fits into these two categories. You need to classify yourself. I'm not classifying anybody. 
Number one is you are either trapped in your own demise. Trapped in your own demise. Listen, I don't care what what religion in the world you choose to go after, pursue out out there, but you're going to find this common theme across the board. Every religion, every religious leader, every person you will listen to, every father of the movement or anything like that or guru of a movement will tell you this, that mankind is broken and it needs to be fixed. If you, if you talk to or you read any of Mahatma Gandhi's writings, you might stumble across this statement where he said, we should be sincere to, enough to admit that we love evil too well to give it up. We love our little escapades. We love our little jealousy fits. We love our little envy. We love it. We hang on to it. We nurse it. We, we, we care for it. We excuse it. We love it too much. He speaks even in Hinduism of the brokenness of mankind. If you go over to Buddhism, you listen to the words of, of Buddha and you find that Buddha, the one of universal love, said this, men cannot live without a spiritual life. You better figure out what that spiritual life is. I'm not saying that he was right. I'm not saying, I'm just going to let you decide on, on that as you pursue truth. And, but here's what I'm saying is you better pursue something because our life's not complete without that spiritual life. And neither am I saying that all roads are going to go to the same place because they, none of the, if you dive into the doctrines of the beliefs of the world's religions, they don't all point to the same place. They don't point the same way. Even Mother Teresa, who was just this past week, granted sainthood by the Vatican. And I think we've all lived in this generation to know the great deeds that, that she has done and and modeled for us all. So we have a contemporary who says this, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. In this world where we want to have love, yet there are people being not being loved, tells me the world is broken. Even Augustine, Augustine back in the 300 said this in his book called Confessions, one of the books I'm reading right now, which is way over my head. But here is what he says in the very first chapter of the very first book of his confessions. He says, God created us for relationship with him. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. Until we find our rest in God. We've got to dive into this because otherwise we're, we're crippled and we're broke and we're on a track of our own demise. Even the great King David of the Jewish faith. I picked on every faith here. That's what we call the Jews, right? So here, the Jewish faith. We were in Israel just a few weeks ago and we heard this documentary that was presented to us about how David didn't sin whenever he slept with Bathsheba. They kind of whitewashed over that part. But yet David knew he sinned. Why would you whitewash over that confession in Psalm 51 verse 5 when he knew he had been a sinner since he was a child? Psalm 51 verse 5 says, For I was a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 3 from the message, a little bit of an English version paraphrase that really kind of brings it down to to, to the cookies on the bottom shelf. Listen to these words as, as the great apostle Paul writes them. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? 
Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions. We're all starting at the same point on the starting line, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. Remember, we just talked about Jesus saying, listen, I came to die so that you wouldn't die in your sins. But if you don't believe, there's a different outcome. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. You take Mother Teresa. You take these great people of our past. Even they are broken. Nobody knows the score. Nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down the blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. Listen, I'm not here to beat anybody down but I am here to uncover the veil of our own, call it self-righteousness, of our own, we think we got it all figured out. Listen, I want to say we're all broken, but we're broken together. A guy named Nick, Nicodemus, goes to Jesus late at night. In John chapter 3, so you were in John 6, now I want you to go over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 18, we'll be there in a moment, but we'll call it Nick at night because Nick Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. So Nick at night, uh, he goes because he's a very high-powered religious leader. He's a Sanhedrin of the Pharisees, which means the Pharisees were the legalistic ones who had it all figured out, but then of the... Of the um, of the Pharisees, there were the, the elect Sanhedrin. They were of the upper echelon of the upper echelon. They were the most orthodox of them all. And they had it all figured out. But Nicodemus knew something was different about Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and he's going to talk with Jesus. He's going to meet with Jesus late at night. And Jesus is going to give him some hard news. And now we all know John chapter 3, verse 16, don't we? For God so loved the world, all that kind of thing. We, we know that when we got to go there, we gotta, we'll be there in just a moment. That's a beautiful verse. But listen, you can't read John 3, 16, but not read John 3, 18. Because they're all in the same story. This is what John 3.18 says to us, which is kind of a, a disturbing statement. So buckle up. I told you we're all in one of two conditions. We're either broken in our own demise, but here's what verse 18 uh, says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So I'm not trying to be belligerent or mean here, but I am trying to point out that every single one of us, without the work of Christ in us, is living a condemned life. Now, what we've got to do is we've got to realize we've got something tragic going on across the, across the landscape. We've got, we got to get this message out there, and we'll get there in just, just a moment. But we've got to understand that people have got to hear this if they're going to believe this. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He said, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you want somebody's faith to grow, they've got to hear this. They've got to know this. They've got to understand this. And that's in verse 17. You go up a few verses prior to that. Verse 14, it says it like this. How can they believe? There's that key word. Everything's pivoting around that today. How can they believe 
in whom they've never heard. And how will they hear without somebody preaching or somebody telling them? They've got to hear it. They've got, they've got to hear it. Somebody's got to tell it so they can hear it. Somebody's got to hear it so they can believe it. I mean, it's really simple here, guys. It's really easy math. If somebody never hears the story of Jesus, then somebody will never know that they can be free from their sins. That's why the message is so urgent. That's why we continue to go around the world. That's why we make it a priority. Do you realize around the world today that there there are over 11,491 different people groups? People groups, masses of people that share a common language, a common worldview, they're all around the world. Now, not geopolitical areas. You might have one nation that has multiple. In fact, there are. When we lived in Zambia, there are 73 different people groups that lived in Zambia. So don't think about nations. Think about people groups. 6,795 of those are unreached people groups. That means there's less than 2% believers. I want to tell you something here. This has been really cool. Our church has been in existence for 15 years. Or when I moved back, we started with a handful of people. We've grown and grown. Here we are today. But listen, for the past 10 of those 15 years, 10 of those 15 years, it's a celebration time this year, 10 of those 15 years, we've been in a country in West Africa where it's where one of those unreached 6,000 people groups exist and live and work. We've sent over 200 people to villages, five different villages at least that we've gone to and the city, the capital city where we've done work and, and we've taught English and we've done medical clinics, but we've given the name of Jesus. We've told them about this story of, of following and believing and we have seen many of them come to faith in Christ, over 35 different trips that we have sent out over the, over the past 10 years. But let me tell you something that's happened in this week, this week, because... Yaya is now a believer. And because Nanjan is now a believer, Nanjan found a Bible on the road, picked it up, began to read it, became a believer. Yaya was a, Yaya is the guy in the, in the bright orange shirt there. Yaya is a, is a guy who grew up, in, his dad was an imam, a Muslim teacher, and is now a believer, baptized, following Christ. That group of people are, 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 are people from that nation. And I'm not mentioning this because this is being podcast. It's in a nation where there are more Muslims, far more Muslims than there are Christians. But now we've empowered them and they're going out. They've watched us. We've walked with them. They've walked with us. We're going to still send teams, but now they're going and you're helping them go. That's cool. And they're getting this word out. The problem is there's still 3,000 95 unreached, unengaged people groups. That means there's not a church, there's not a missionary. And we sit in our comfortable seat right now, deciding, "Ah, am I going to follow Jesus or not? And there are people around the world that haven't even heard. Listen, nobody gets free pass. We've got to believe. But for them to believe, they've got to hear. We cheapen the cross of Christ. We, we shirk our responsibility of the Great Commission. When we say, oh, all roads lead to heaven, we, we soothe our conscience. When we say, you're all going to end up in the same place, listen, no, you've got to believe. It's not my words, it's Jesus. Which leads me to the second, and I want to close with this one. We are freed and named children of God. That's the beauty of this whole thing. 
We are called children of God. We're named children of God. We have been set free in Christ. He sets us free. So let's go back to Nick at night. Nick comes to Jesus at night because he's this highfalutin, powerful religious leader. And he, 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 he sets down with Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 1. Now, a man named, uh, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That means, that means he was part of the Sanhedrin. Um, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, gives him great respect when he does this. Rabbi, we know, notice what he says. Here is a Jewish religious leader saying about Jesus. We know that you are a teacher from God. Okay, he has a very high view of God here. A very high view of Jesus here. Come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus had just started his ministry of miracles, by the way. It had not been going long. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus blew the circuits of his mind. What do you mean? What do you mean be born again? How am I going to go back into my mother? I mean, I'm old. My mother's this tall, frail, bent over. How am I going to get back into my mother? How can I be born again? And then Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. First birth, yes, natural birth. You've got to be born once. Second birth, born of the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Listen, this is not God being um, narrow-minded. This is God being God. He said there's only one way. It's through Him. But He also said it's freedom. He also said it's victory. He also said in John chapter 1, verse 12, he said, to as many as received me, I give you the right to become my child. I make you my child. You become mine. I become yours. Nicodemus' story doesn't end there in John chapter 3. Now, we know only three times is Nicodemus ever mentioned in the scriptures. He's mentioned three times in the gospel of John. They're all mentioned in the gospel of John, and that is it. And he's mentioned here in John chapter 3. He's mentioned in John chapter 7. Whenever he gives a defense for Christ, he kind of defends and steps up for Christ uh, over a, a festival dispute in, in John chapter 7, verse 15 and 52. And then in John chapter 19, we see the last time that he's mentioned. But here I want to point this out to you. Look at what he's mentioned in John 19, verse 39, and I'm finished. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night. Now just notice this. We're, we went in John chapter 3, now we're all the way to John chapter 19. This is chronology here. He's going along here. He's telling the story. He says, who came to Jesus and I came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds now, just hang on to that. So I'm going to tell you how exciting it is to be a preacher sometimes. I got to study what it was like to do a funeral in the first century this week. That's exciting material to study. I thought, why in the world? When Jesus is hanging on the cross, they're about to take him down. Joseph of Arimathea is there. Why in the world would he bring 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe? What is it about that? I had to study it and come to find out when you would bury a king, you would bury a king with 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh. What Nicodemus was doing was he was declaring that Jesus is king. 
Follow along through the life of Nicodemus. He came on the scene as a seeker. He came on the scene as a seeker, seeking truth, skeptic maybe even. But he moves from being a skeptic, or excuse me, kind of a spiritual religious leader. Then he moves to a seeker and a skeptic. Then he moves to a defender or an idealist in John chapter 7. But at the end of the book, the end of his life, you see him a full-on worshiper of the king of kings. I don't know where you're at on that schema right there. Are you a religious spiritual person like Nicodemus was before that night? Are you a seeker or a skeptic? Or yeah, I'll I'll stand up for Jesus. I'll call myself a Christian. Are you a defender, an idealist? Or are you a worshiper? Worshiping, giving your life fully and completely to Jesus. Listen, this is a beautiful week. We've just seen some beautiful baptisms. Had a couple in the first service who gave their heart to Christ in my office at the end of a North Point class. He grew up uh, in, in, in a religious home. She grew up in a Baptist home. He grew up as a, uh, as a son of a priest, Catholic priest. Kind of a different story there, if you know the history there. Becomes a believer in my office. You may be here today, and you may realize in your heart of hearts that you're not yet a believer of Jesus. I want to tell you this. The truth will set you free if you know the truth. If you know the truth, you'll know that Jesus is the truth. It's not a philosophy. It's not an opinion. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And when he sets you free, you're free indeed. He'll set you free from brokenness. He'll set you free from shame. He'll set you free from guilt. He'll set you free from habits and hang-ups. He'll set you free, but you've got to believe. Have you believed? I didn't get to it. I want to quote it. You know it. Say it with me. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes. We're going to have a time and maybe you're here today and you think, Mike, I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to confess. I'm ready to be baptized. Listen, I'll make a deal with you. If you're ready to believe, you're ready to confess, you're ready to give your life to following Christ, you come forward during our time of singing here right now and you just tell me, Mike, I'm ready to be baptized. I say, I'll bring a change of clothes with me. I, I didn't either. And I'll get in there with you with my clothes on and we'll get baptized. All right? That's a thought. Go home wet. It's a challenge, okay? It'll be holy water, right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus. And we're going into a week that is indeed, indeed a passionate week, a holy week, a week where we want you to be fully alive in us. Father, we must give ourselves fully and completely to you. Lord, would you reach out and touch those who haven't yet believed and help them to give themselves fully to you now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There'll be some prayer partners here at the front. You can come up and pray with us. This is your time. Let's stand together.